You've completed that. So to begin, I want to ask for God's favor on this service. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for those that are here um, online. I ask you to bless them as well. Lord, we need your wisdom on what it means to be the church and ask for your grace and favor. Thank you the promise that we're two or three are gathered, you're there, and that your words bring life. So we're going to know you today. Abba, Father, bless in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's dig in. So um, if you have a question about the church, I want you to text me that question, please. Uh, there's a lot of different denominations. You know, some of the big, the big denominations that we know of are the Greek Orthodox. You've got the Catholic Church. You've got the Episcopal. And we kind of joke that that's Catholic light. You know, there's all these different denominations and Baptist and the myriad of the Baptist traditions and all those things. Uh, we can't all get it right and we can't all get it wrong. You know, something's up. So if you've got a question about a particular denomination or a belief about the church, please text me and I will do my very, very best to answer that for you. So 940, 1012. Uh, last Sunday, we walked through a list of descriptors. These are terms that the New Testament uses to describe the church. And by the way, that's actually a brief list. There are many other terms and phrases that are used to describe the church, okay? Now, when it comes to church membership, the question was asked, is that a biblical idea? Should a pastor say, <clears throat> you can't come in our doors the second time unless you become a member or something like that? Is that a really biblical idea? Well, if you remember from last Sunday, there's no explicit, plain verse that says, thou shalt join a church. It doesn't say it really anywhere. But when you look critically at these terms, you have to go, but something's going on to be a non-Christian, to move to the status of a Christian. Something's going on. So let's look a little more closely at that. I, I love infographics. I'm giving you three to help you get it, kind of get a visual of what the New Testament teaches about the church. First, if you understand all those terms, Body of Christ, pillar support of the truth, uh, they gather, they assemble, all these things. You get this idea of group cohesion. Group cohesion. In other words, we stick together, all right? And hence that little graphic. Ephesians 4, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, there's one church, there's one gospel. Paul is making it really clear that we're cohesive and we stick together on some big, big, big theological ideas. There's only one gospel, okay? And that's a tough one for some people. Have you ever heard of a bleeding heart liberal? Do you know what that means to be a bleeding heart liberal? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean, Jay, to be a bleeding heart liberal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so you take the softest most generalized ecumenical approach to anything. Except and for Christians. What's that? Except for Christians. <laughs> Except for Christians, right. And uh, uh, all roads lead to Rome. We're, we're all going to get there, you know. And, but when you read the New Testament, no, no, we're not all going to get there. In fact, few are actually going to get there. Yeah, that's what the scriptures teach. So if you're the bleeding heart liberal and you feel bad for everybody, then these kinds of ideas are going to be tough. There's one gospel, and that is Jesus. There's no options. Hebrews 10 says, hey, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, right? Um, uh, I, I have a bit of a... I have a bit of a unique perspective on church attendance, okay? For one, I'm moving close to 40 years of being in a staff position of some kind, getting real close to that, okay? So I have had to be at church on Sunday morning, in a Southern Baptist tradition, ready for this? Sunday morning for Sunday school, and then Sunday morning worship, right? And then you come back in for Sunday afternoon, discipleship group and then Sunday evening church 
and then Wednesday evening church, and then there's typically some other. You may remember that, you know, Justin and Sonny. I, so I'm really, really used to that, and I'm and I'm used to this mindset that it's Sunday. I'm going to be here, right? Well, if you're not a pastor, if you're not a staff member, you have a different view, and I get it. Um, I think the younger generations are far smarter than I, and that you know how to take a break. You know how to get away, and I love that. I really do. I, th- I think it was Abe Lincoln, uh, one of his famous quotes, that if I had eight hours to chop a tree down, I'd spend six hours doing what? Sharpening the axe. Yeah. There's some real smarts in knowing how to stop and sharpen the axe. I like that idea. And, you know, in fact, by the way, that quote actually comes from the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes, where the writer says, uh, the one who welds the axe must strike harder unless he sharpens the axe. And some of us just keep swinging, you know, and just swing harder, push through, you know. And so I think the younger generation is like, click, hey, I need to stop and uh, not be like my mom and dad, not be like my grandma, not be like my grandpa. I need to stop and slow down. Okay, got it. Now, can you go to an extreme on that regarding church attendance where, where church, like not going to church is the first thing you cut off, you strike off the list, you know. Um, I'm a little tired. Well, don't go to church. Um, I stayed up late at the ball game. Well, don't go to church. In other words, if it's the first thing, you, you know, you, you get a sniffle, and that's probably not a good example. There, there's something wrong when there's always a reason to not go to church. That's all I'm saying. All right? So the scriptures are clear. Group cohesion. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And prioritization, I love that. If you read Colossians 1, Luke, Luke 6, 46, it's clear. Jesus says in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Ouch. <laughs> that kind of that clears the field quickly. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you don't do what I say? So what happens is for some of us, we are Christian in theory. We can ascend to the ideas of Christianity. But when it comes to following Jesus, we struggle with that. So, yeah, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Or Colossians 1.18. Christ is so exalted. And this is beautiful Paul's language. That he, quote unquote, must have first place in all things. Jesus having first place in all things. For example... Jesus Christ having first place over social media. Jesus Christ having first place over uh, your entertainment or uh, your finances or your family and work, all these things. So whatever this church thing is, those who are part of the church have cohesion and Jesus is number one. Okay, and then three, that there's some kind of component where there's sacrifice. Paul instructs the church, you guys need to be ready to meet needs. Meet needs. Uh, Stephen uh, and Rebecca are getting ready to build a house and all that, and they're thinking ahead. The planning is is really amazing in the details. Um, Stephen needed some help, and so Matt Collar and uh, Joe Summit were right there and provided some strong back to get, get some things moved. So that's an example. So the third graphic is that we just, we're committed. We're committed. There's a story in 2 Samuel that's beautiful. David had made some major mistakes as a leader of Israel. And um, God had judged because of these things. And it was a time of repentance. It's a time for a major course correction for David, major course correction for really Israel as a whole. And... David is going to worship and he comes up to one of the one of the local farmers, Israeli farmers, a man named Aruna. And David said that we've got to worship. We've got to repent and worship so the judgment will stop. And Aruna says, here, take my threshing floor, break up the wood, use that for the fire. Take my livestock, the bullock, slaughter them, offer that to God. 
And, and we'll do that. And I want to give it to you. And David said, do you remember what David said? Anybody? I cannot offer to the Lord would cost me nothing. All right? I can't say that I'm committed to God and it costs me nothing. So there's something about the body of Christ that if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, there's a price tag that goes with that. It costs us something. Otherwise, we're just in theory. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a follower. I'm really devoted to my God. Yeah, you bet. Uh, What does it cost? Where's the commitment, right? So when you study the New Testament, it becomes clear. The church sticks together, there's cohesion. Jesus is number one. And there's sacrifice. There's genuine commitment. Uh, I, know, I know we're all busy, I know that. Uh, an unhealthy mindset toward the church is that, okay, I'm gonna be there at 10. They better be serving up something good. Because I've got other choices, you know. And if they don't serve it the way I want it, I'm going to go to another church restaurant and see how they serve it up. And you, you get this, the church is here to serve you. It, it's you, 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 you. But the fact is, it's us. And there's a giving and a receiving that is balanced. All right, you got that stuff. Um, by the way, membership, if that's something you feel like you, God's calling you to, to be a member at Christ Church, you can go to our website discoverchristchurch.com and it's really easy to welcome page and you can drop down to, to find that. All right. What, what does it take to be a member? Well, you need to be born again. You need to be baptized. There needs to be theological agreement. That might sound curious, but Paul was really sensitive about false teachers in his churches. Just wouldn't, he wouldn't tolerate it. Uh, so Paul was really, really... Really strict on that. Active follower of Jesus, absolutely. Good standing, yeah, we need to be in good standing in our relationships. So, um, all right, I want you to appreciate this graph. If those little squares <clears throat> represent lost people, <clears throat> or the, the pagan world, you know, the, the non Christian world that we live in, and that little red circle represents the church, is there something wrong with that graphic? If the squares represent non-believers or holy people, and the red circle describes the church, what's, what's that? Smirkle, uh, it's a new word. You just have to go deep with Greek to get a smirkle. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, I appreciate it. So that circle is small, otherwise known in Greek as a smirkle. What else do you notice? Aaron caught it. What's on the inside is the same as what's on the outside. Okay. Okay. So when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, Paul writes brilliantly in Romans 12 that we're to not be conformed to the world, which Aaron means to be like it. Conformed. Um, if you guys are construction engineering dudes to manufacture around a template. <clears throat> to take steel and bend it around a mold or wood and craft it around a, a mold or a, a, a blueprint to be bent and shaped around the world. Well, no, no, we're supposed to be transformed <clears throat> so that we're not like the world, okay? That people should look at us and go, wow, you're different. Something's different about you, yeah? So, so it would look something maybe like this would be perhaps a more accurate uh, graphic on what we're talking about. This is what Jesus said in Matthew. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through that gate, Dale. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted or small that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That is why that circle is so small. (laughs) Because the fact is, from the mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, come the words, few people find the way. 
In fact, the other example is when he taught about the four soils. Remember that? You've got the hard soil, the rocky soil, the soil eaten up with weeds, and then you have the good soil. Now, I, I don't know that Jesus was trying to do a math formula uh, when he said that. I, I don't think so. I think he was trying to say something bigger than a math formula. But at that point, 75% miss the kingdom of God. Few find it. Is the few 25%? Like I said, I think Jesus is doing something much bigger than a math formula. I think he's trying to say, it's a lot harder to get in than you think. (laughs) Now, I don't want you guys to miss this. It's to good theology. Why would Jesus say it's narrow and really hard to get in? What is, he, what is the narrowness and the difficulty of getting in? Why are so many people going to miss it? It's too easy. What's that? It's too easy. It's too easy. Good, Linda. Linda said because it's too easy. There's only one way. There's only one way. It's all important. It's the one thing in the entire history of our existence that yeah. is more important than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that is so good. It's the urgency, the one thing. It's easy. It's, it's commitment. I mean, it, it takes a commitment. And it's easy because it's too easy not to. A lot yeah. of people aren't willing to say that. Yeah, on their own terms. Lee? The flesh just resists the guidance. Yeah, I, I think Lee and, uh, and Linda are getting at something here. Um, I don't want you to raise your hand on this question, but I do intend for you to really respond internally. I have the sense for all of us, and I'm not including, excluding myself on this, we still have this thing deep inside of us that God is good and kind to good people. Think about it. God is good and kind to good people. And Linda, if we can somehow be good... He'll throw the doors open wide. Come on in. You're so good. Is that the biblical message? Not even close. So who said works of the flesh? Was it you? Someone said, yeah, someone said, Lee, maybe, yeah, the flesh resisted. Yeah, the whole point is, if you think you're going to get to God because you're a good person, your version, listen, your version of being a truth teller, your version, your version of moral code, your version of whatever, if you think that's going to give you right standing with God, you are missing it. You're going to be outside that circle. You're going to miss it. Okay. But at the same time, at least in the Western world, the church has watered down. No life change. Told the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Come, pray, prayer, get saved, and nobody talks about, you know, like have a savior. But but so many times there's no mention of this. That savior is your Lord. Meaning yeah. you're not just yeah. praying a prayer and getting saved, but you are giving your life yeah. to another that loves you. Oh, say that again, Edie. You're giving your life. To another, yeah, that's Colossians 1.18. Jesus must have preeminence or get first place in all things. Yeah, Patch. Even the idea of our salvation seems to be from a consuming mindset. I mean, if you describe, tell me your salvation experience. Well, I accepted Christ. And I get it. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. That's how we recite how we got saved. We were saved by Christ. So even the semantics of it sort of point to the sense of what I did, even though it's not intentional. I mean, the fact is, everything in my heart and mind says, no, Jesus saved me, but the natural reaction is to say, I went to Christ. Because yes, Romans says, if you confess, if you believe. So it is an action that we take, but it's what Jesus does that I think we subconsciously sort of miss because we assume that I am saved, therefore now the consumer mindset still takes over. We're still... Battling that flesh, even though Paul says we're not of that anymore, we tend to go back to that past life and say, yeah. 
yeah. I need to be a consumer. I am a consumer because that's who I am. And yeah. No, that's who yeah. you were. Yeah. You have to be able to put that down in order to really embrace the fact that Jesus did this for you. He did this yeah. to you. His sacrifice is what changed you. That is so good, Patch. All right, Pop Quiz, you ready? What is the one thing Jesus told everybody to do? This is the thing you do. What is it? Love one another. Uh, certainly, but this is the main thing about a relationship with him. Follow. Follow. That's it. He said, follow me. It's real simple. And so, some, you know, Patch is right. We can use the consumer language and I accept it. Uh, here's my birthday kind of stuff. By the way, which has value. I'm not saying it doesn't. But I'm saying if you, were to, if you were to sit down with Jesus and have coffee with him, he would say, follow me and let my words abide in you. And you'll be my disciples. Right. And so now that pushes the issue of this or the other of that. Because if you follow Jesus, right, are we different? We got to be different. Otherwise, it becomes absurd. Yeah. Let's shift gears. So because I'm kind of giving you guys some new information about the church. Here's some things about Christ Church I I want you to know. Um, Our our formal name, as registered with the state of Arkansas, is Christ Church of Central Arkansas. So that's our full name. Occasionally we get mail for Christ Church. I think it's a Lutheran church down on Markham or something like that. Um, so Christ Church, but Christ Church of Central Arkansas. Um, we started on Father's Day 2007. I thought that was a very fitting Sunday to start, Father's Day. And uh, I was a Southern Baptist uh, at that time. And I officially withdrew uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention at that time because of a conversation with a guy named Steve Hill who was a part of the uh, uh, Arkansas Baptist Convention at the time. And, and Steve said, hey, Chris, uh, if you want to register Christ Church as a CBC church, that's or SBC church, that's great, but you've got to sign this document that says you'll only practice closed communion. Do you remember what that is? What is it, Linda? That's where you're a member of the church, you have access. Only, only the members of Christ Church can take communion. And then he goes, now I know half the churches don't do that. I went, you just said the wrong thing, dude. I'm out. If that's what it takes to get in, I'm out. I don't want to be a part of that. First of all, it's bad theology. And secondly, it's duplicitous. So I'm out. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, I was an adjunct professor at Williams Baptist University for five and a half years at Southern Baptist School. Love Williams and love teaching and all that. And so my, my debt of gratitude toward the SBC is great. And they do a lot of things right. I'm telling you, they do a lot of things right. But that was, uh, that was a line in the sand I had to draw. And so I'm at. So what, where do you drop Christchurch as a denomination? I would say, and I know this is kind of challenging lingo, I think we're historical conservative. And here's what I mean by that. Historical in that we're going back to the first century world of the church. That's the historical focus. We're not reformed in the sense of Luther. I'm not concerned about the 16th century. I'm not concerned about the 17th century or the 18th century. I'm concerned exclusively with the first century, all right? Secondly, I'm dead set and bullheaded that I'm going to conserve that. (laughs) The conservation of that. I don't want it to morph into the third century stuff. For it's, I don't want nothing to do with it. I want to get to the core and I want to stay there and that's it. That's me. So in that sense, where do you put Christchurch? Well, it's kind of hard. I'd say historical conservative, but uh, we're very similar in some ways to the Reformed tradition. Uh, I do believe in the sovereignty of God. Uh, Church of Christ, man, Church of Christ gets some serious stuff right. They do. And, and so you can see some, some 
uh, shared things there or your, your basic Bible-centric evangelical tradition. When you say that, you're meaning there's one gospel, Jesus Christ, and you've got to be his follower and be born again. So denominationally, that's where we fit. Um, our mission statement, loving God, loving people, changing the world, and then serving and caring for families. Uh, core values to me, these are big, absolutely biblical. And so, um, yeah, I think you probably already know that about me. For example, for example, look at what's just happened this Sunday, today, even last Sunday. Do you know that I just told you that the, script, the New Testament says, or excuse me, does not say, thou shalt join a church? Okay. You know why I said that? Because it's true. <laughs> That's why. It's true. I dare you to, and use your concordance, use your cell phones, uh, Google it, see if it's there. Do you know what? If I were the pop culture guy, the, the touchy-feely, soft-sell, ecumenical guy, I would just simply say, you all need, every one of you need to join this church. Every one of you. And you better get committed. Yep. And that's how you prove that you love the Lord. Should I say that? Actually, no, I shouldn't. That is a commitment to the biblical record. That's what I mean. And so at Christ Church, or maybe at Chris, at me, if you're going to approach me about this stuff, I'm going one place and one place only, and that is the scriptures. Abundant grace. Oh, boy. You know what? <clears throat> if, if you've noticed in uh, conservative politics and, and liberal politics, Republican, Democrat, um, have you ever noticed that some of the buzzwording, they say, you want to fall down on the right side of history? Have you ever heard that lingo? You know, when it's all said and done and we're looking back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago on, on the abortion debate or something like that, always fall on the right side of history. And I, and I know what they're doing. They're using rhetoric to try to, you know, to try to do that bleeding heart thing. I get it. Um, I want you to know that if I'm going to, I'm going to fall on, on grace or law, I'm going to fall on the side of grace. Because that's how Jesus treated people. Yeah. In fact, when you look at the times that Jesus came down hard, did Jesus ever fall on law? Did he ever go with law? Boy, he did. But who did he do it with, Sabrina? Pharisees, Sadducees, rich uh, lawyers, scribes. He comes down hard as nails on those guys. Why? What's that? Well, they should have known better, but that's exactly what they dish out to everybody else. Exactly. They come down hard as nails on, their, on everybody. And what did Jesus say? Treat others the way you want to be treated? So Jesus treated them just like they treated others. The standard by which you judge others, it will be applied to you. And so Jesus throws down the heaviest on the people who are legal and cruel, even to the point that he, he, uh, he uses, if I say foul language, that sounds, that sounds coarse or sounds disrespectful. But if you understand Hebrew culture, if you understand Jewish culture, when you call somebody a snake, you've crossed the line. You are really, really being mean, okay? And he is, he is doing it. What about the people who are broken and humble? How does he treat them? Grace. Remember the woman set up? Absolutely set up. The whole thing was just set up. They probably paid off some guy to, to uh, access services to the prostitute. And then they act. It's all set up. People are watching. They catch him. They let the guy go. How convenient. They let the guy, they get paid. They let him go. And it's the woman. They throw a sheet around her, a cloth of some sort. Drag her out in the courtyard for public stoning. Caught in the act. Sin. What does the law of Moses say? Stone her to death. And how does Jesus treat her? Mm. First thing, he doesn't deal with her at all. 
he deals with the Pharisees, the guys that are holding the rocks. Okay. By the way, did Jesus say not one? By the way, if you read Hebrew a little, you know there's little tiny dots and strokes around it? Yeah. They're called jots or dots and tittles. Jesus said there's not one stroke of the law that's going to pass away. The law of God stands. So Jesus is true. She broke the law. She could have been stoned according to the law. So Jesus says, okay, if you've never sinned, cast the first stone. So the real root problem is not necessarily the heart of the girl, the young girl. It's the heart of the Pharisee. But they had no grace inside of themselves at all. And then once that core problem was dealt with, then he says brilliantly, hey, where are your accusers? And she, we assume she lifts her eyes up and she says, I, I don't see any. They're gone. And he says, what? I don't, I don't accuse you either. He gives you grace. And then because of the commitment to discipleship that we're not like the world, he says what? Sin no more. Sin no more. Beautiful. Sin no more. So Christ church, me, it's going to be abundant grace. Absolutely abundant grace. Now, um, I, want to, I want to do a little bit of uh, uh, some transparent things about me. I believe I'm self-assessing. Don't ask my wife. Please don't ask Lisa. I'm self-assessing. I can be one of the most negative, critical people I know. <laughs> I really can. You can take me to a $10 million elite home in Little Rock. And I, Sonny, I can walk in and go, that wall's not square. And I saw cracks in the marble. <coughs> Marble. <laughs> I saw cracks in that marble. <laughs> you know. I can be critical. Oh my goodness. You know. And I got to be really careful with that because uh, I have the, a huge capacity to be a fault finder. And if you do that, that's dangerous business. Okay. So here's my heart. You ready? This is grace. If there's a hundred things about a person and there's one good thing, I want to overlook the 99 and find that one good thing. I want to be that person. Okay. There's other of you, and, and listen, you have the capacity just like I do. You love to focus on the 99 bad things. And it's easy. Whew. Easy, easy. At Christ Church, at Chris Berry, <laughs> abundant grace. You know why? Because I need it. I need it. Justin, the standard by which I judge people going to come back on me. And then living out faith, hope, and love. Um, From the psychotherapist's point of view, if you want to know something that can dial in some great mental health, faith, hope, and love. (laughs) That is so healthy. It is amazing. And then the gospel of Jesus is everything. These are core values for me. So, okay. I'm going to turn it over to you. Questions for me. Uh, scriptures that you think are critically important about the church and our commitment to the church. Uh, one of the graphics that we held up. Anybody you want to uh, speak? We need to hear from you. Yes, sir. What's the ground on which the Baptists insist on a closed This is a great question, Jay. And I'm going to give you probably a, a limited answer. Have any of you heard of what's called the landmark movement? Does that ring a bell with anybody? Man, we just don't talk about this stuff because it's so boring, right? So about 100, 125 years ago, some Baptist preachers were doing their thing in the U.S. And Jay, landmarkism rolled through and it rolled through Arkansas and actually took pretty deep root down here. And in the landmark traditions, one of those is closed communion. It's, it's like when the Church of Christ were really forming and uh, the, the great renewal movement in the Church of Christ by Campbell and others. 
the great renewal movement among the Baptists and the Methodists included landmarkism, this strict, rigid interpretation like on the Lord's Supper. And what's odd is the Southern Baptist Commission, it's only like in Arkansas that they do that. It's really an odd thing. Have you guys ever heard of what's called the, uh, the, the annual convention for Southern Baptists? Does that ring a bell? Well, it's about to start here in about a week or two. And I don't know if you knew this, but last year they voted on this and they did not vote it down. That they realize this is something that needs to be changed, but there's still a stronghold in the Southern Baptist tradition, landmarkism, that... What's, what's the it, it's not. I, I really, I'm puzzled by the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's all that I know. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't want to get, get too techy with you. I don't want to bore you guys, but do you understand the difference between <coughs> descriptive descriptive writing and prescription? Do you guys know the difference? What is descriptive in the New Testament? What is descriptive writing? What's that? And so what book, for example, in the New Testament are you going to probably read a lot of description? What's that? Acts, especially Acts, but some of the Gospels too. They're doing history. Description tells you what happened, not necessarily what should happen. Now when you read prescription, what are you reading? What should happen. Yeah. That's the difference between the book of Acts and the book of Romans. Okay. So if you're going to do prescription, there's virtually no basis whatsoever. Whatsoever for close communion. But if you do description, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's such a... So, close, you have to be a, a member of that Yes. Right. Of course, the assumption is you're a believer if you join. But like if you three have not joined Christchurch formally, then you can't take the Lord's Supper. Yeah. And Jesus gave no such stricture, no such stricture at all. Anybody else a question about the church? What it means to follow Jesus? Yeah, and that ED is called discipleship. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? A lot of pastors are afraid to call it for what it is on the pulpit because they'll be blamed for hate speech. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, sir. Always find this time really special. There just wasn't a time in a service where people got to speak into yeah. the, the shared time. And I, I just love that about the model that this church does. Yeah. Is that scripturally backed or is it just kind of a, a good practice? That Thank you, Philip. That's actually brilliant. Um, so this is where we do prescription. When you read Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14, you have big, big chunks of scripture that talk about gifts, right? These gifts, is Paul telling you, find your gift, function in your gift? Yes. Paul does the very same thing with uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 12, 13, 14 as well. Very same things as well. The spiritual gifts, how many of them are speech-based gifts. There's something to say. Think about it. 
There's something to say. And it's, if you're gifted as a prophet, as a teacher, someone who's discerning, as someone who's encouraging, or someone who's merciful, are they speech-based? Is there something to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And then if you read, if you read this text, Philip, and let them stand, and we should, then... And I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm saying rather boldly that a church service where the pastor is the only one that talks is not a truly New Testament service. Because Paul explicitly, prescriptively says this is how you do church. And more than one person does the talk. Is that good theology? Absolutely. Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you, Philip? Yes. Are you walking with Jesus? Yes. Do you know his word? Yes. Then how dare you be quiet in church? <laughs> if you're God's servant and the spirit is inside of you, then the spirit of God should speak to you to speak through you. Yeah. It's really, really good stuff. Yes. Yeah, um, so, so, which is a great question. That's about church discipline, which I'm going to actually develop in the next few Sundays. At that point, Janice, um, there has to be private addressing of the problem. And then if there is no genuine repentance, and then you engage in the church discipline of shunning, which I've covered with you many, many times, actually, there, there are it's a lot of scripture that prescriptively Paul commands that, they're, that they're, you break table fellowship, which means they're denied the Lord's Supper. Yeah, it's what the New Testament says. They were what? They're, they were picky about picky. who. Either you're, you're, you're onto something really, really important. And so two models essentially formed. The first, the biblical model, which is what you just addressed. Church is for Christians. Church is for Christians. Church is designed to encourage Christians, to call them to holiness, to call them to love God and love each other. So, so the worship service is for Christians. And that's why there's biblical teaching. But another model formed. And, and the buzzword, and by the way, Rick Warren at a Saddleback, Jay, probably is the one that made it really, really famous about 20, 30 years ago, uh, called the seeker-sensitive model. You may have heard about the seeker service. Yep. And in the seeker service, the, the preacher, uh, or the, <laughs> whoever's speaking, whatever you want to call him, doesn't talk about controversial things doesn't talk about sensitive things, does not present truth in black and white terms, and does not talk about exclusivity, speaks in the most non-threatening ways, right? And the, the band is going to do their best to sound like Journey, or they're going to sound like some, you know, some... Literally, we're going to make it look like, sound like, feel like the world, so that you think that's attractive, so that you'll stay... And somehow we'll kind of sneak in the gospel a little bit. That's called the seeker-sensitive model. Um, and uh, Edie, the fact is that that's really not in the New Testament at all. You know. Chris is an extension of that. Do we look at the mega church model not as an indication of unbiblicalness because we all look stupid? 
Right. If it's big, it's bad, and it's not true. But maybe as, a, as an indication that, again, not that we go back to Jesus' um, parable being a mathematical problem, in the same way we should look at a big church as being, oh, you're big, therefore you're a little Big is bad, small is good. No, you can't say that. But, but rather as an indication of asking why yeah. it's large, or yeah. so the end result being not that we should stay small. Right. How did the first century church yeah. expand the gospel beyond yeah. Judea and Samaria and all the world? Yeah, exactly. Not through the result of telecommunication, right. one pastor on 14 different screens, but rather how are the local church bodies, whether they're connected with one church, a Baptist convention, or otherwise, right. and how is the gospel being spread in a way that's local and yes. individualized to the local culture? That are there because obviously Judea and Samaria were two different places, and so the cultures that maybe Paul or Peter were sort of dealing with would have been different. So yeah. adapting that culture and finding a way to integrate the gospel in a way that those local uh, cultures understood. Right, so right. Patch and that is really, really good and wise. And some some churches are really, really big because they do a tremendous job at evangelism. Yeah, they, they're just, they do a great job at it. And um, what's that, dear? Okay. I was going to say, but the, the church, meaning us, not a building, we have really gotten away from the Great Commission because Jesus didn't tell them to go make Christians. He told them to go make disciples. Yeah. And we've seen, yeah. we, the church as a whole, we kind of seem happy to have people Pray to, pray to receive Christ and, and, and like Linda said, and then that's it. And you're done, yeah. We did, we did what we're called to do, right. but that's not, what, that's not what Jesus called us to do. He, yeah, he said make disciples. That is so wise. And thank you for speaking biblically. Um, Stephen? Yeah, LaDonna online uh, asked as a follow-up for that, is the church also not for the lost to come and find God and get saved? Um, actually, um, LaDonna, thank you. There's a reference in 1 Corinthians where it does talk about lost people who come to church, by the way. And this is interesting. Um, and, I, and LaDonna, thank you for that question. Um, I, I, let's, let's drop, let's get in the TARDIS and go back to the first century. Right? We're, we're back in the first century now. So do you realize it would be, <laughs> it's going to be in a home, right? Or it might be in a storefront, and behind that storefront counter are a couple bedrooms or a kitchen or something. That's where it's going to take place. Do you know what, according to Greek Roman policy, what's going on with the front door? Anybody? It's wide open. It's wide open. And it's actually culturally expected that people can wander in and wander out when your front door is open. That's a cultural reality. Okay. Now, because of my sheepdog genes... If I'm at my home at 37 Bradford, you know what the front door is at all times? Locked. Locked. My front door is never just left open. But in the Greco-Roman world, it would be the opposite. Yeah. And so because of that, LaDonna, um, Paul says, if you guys are doing your church service and some of your charismatic folk in church are starting to go on, literally babble, and I'm not speaking coarsely, I'm using terms that are glossolalia, you're babbling on and tongue speaking, and somebody saunters into your church, what did Paul say they're going to do? They're going to say what? You're crazy, is what Paul said. You guys are crazy. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do church that way. Paul says, prophecy. Because when that lost person, LaDonna, wanders in, and the prophet speaks, the scripture says, the heart of that lost person will be convicted and say, surely God is in this place, and they will become a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that is true, LaDonna. But for the most part, uh, Edie is really uh, addressing the biblical matter that church is for Christians, and that Christians uh, use their family dinner table to invite neighbors and to give the gospel. And so, so LaDonna, yes, sweetheart, um, the church should always 
be open to build friendships with the lost, love them, care for them, and present the gospel uh, in the love of Christ to them always. Absolutely. Yes. Right, right, right. Right. We have paid staff to do that for you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Edie, bottom line is um, we tend to talk about what's important to us, don't we? We sure do. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I, quite frankly, I want that to happen. Um, I want anyone to be saved by any means possible. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, but yeah, but the church is for believers to learn to be holy. Yeah, which, which leads to this idea. You ready? Let's, let's wrap it up because I know it's very late. And you all have been so kind. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are you different? Am I different? Have we learned to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Paul said? And have we found the narrow way? Yeah. You know. um, all right. Christ Church. Biblical grace, faith, hope, and love in the gospel. Uh, I, ha- I have to say this, and I'm going to pray. That for God, God loved you so much. He loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, as an offering, John writes, that if I would follow him, if I would trust him, if I would believe, that I would not perish, but I would have everlasting life. And so if the Spirit of God is drawing your heart to, to believe and to be a follower of Jesus, please, please do not put that off. And you need to be baptized and you need to commit to cohesion and to the prioritization of Jesus and to living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that is to commit to one. Let me pray. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for everybody here. Thank you for LaDonna. Uh, thank you for how LaDonna has brought encouragement to me. God, I beg your blessing right now. We're going to sing and and put our heart and the love that we have for you into word and to lyric. Thank you for Stephen and Matt and, and the guys that helped Michael and David and others and Ben. Father, thank you so very, very much. Love you. In Jesus' name, amen.